Hello everybody and welcome to the Bau podcast. For our anniversary episode number 25, we do a part two with one of our previous guests for the first time ever. He was our very first guest and now he is back, Idris Golsens. Idris has not stood still since the last episode two and a half years ago. Today he is not only the co-founder of PropTech Lab Belgium, but he also founded Lux PropTech, Relevation and Recap. This last one is a joint venture between PropTech Lab and the Belgium developer Revive. This may be a lot to remember for you as a listener, but the most important thing is to know that the main focus of these companies is to connect and accelerate companies, startups and investors in the real estate sector. And we certainly will dive deeper about this subject in this episode. I am very curious to hear more about Idris' activities over the last two years. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Welcome, Idris. How are you doing and how have been the last two years? Thank you. Thank you for uh, the invitation. Very grateful to be here. And uh, I'm great. I'm great. I'm alive, energized. It's sunny, so I can't complain. Very good to hear. Um, Idris, let's maybe... Um, go a little bit back in time. I think the first episode was in the beginning of 2020. We were, or 21 already, we were in the middle of COVID, um, if I remember correctly. Um, a lot has happened since then. And I could say the market has changed on multiple variables, but I was very curious to hear from you. How have you experienced the changes that have been going on in the last two years? And what do you think are like the biggest Um, lessons that our listeners can uh, learn from these changes. So maybe on a more humoristic note, what has changed since, uh, since COVID? Well, we have a lot more babies and a lo also a lot more uh, of uh, single households uh, okay. that didn't go through the, the lockdown, I guess. Um, but your question was more related to our sector, right? So the mm -hmm. construction and real estate sector. So I think what has changed, well, a lot um, so on the venture side basically uh, you know we had the annual peak of, uh, of uh, amount of capital that was invested in 21 so I think it was a uh, 3.5 billion euros in Europe and so then it was a big decrease in 20 uh, in 22 uh, and uh, uh, so it means that there is it seems like startups don't raise capital anymore or are struggling to raise capital so it was a, the, the historical biggest peak of venture capital invested was in 2020 then 21 and then 22 was decreasing a lot uh, but i think if we take a bit more of the helicopter view the big thing that really changed i think post-covid is um the split between essential and non-essential innovation so it's a bit similar to what happened with the retail uh, during the lockdown you had out of nowhere uh, uh, like just out of the blue the segmentation between essential shops that could stay open and non-essential shops that were forced to be closed and so we now have the same with innovations in construction and real estate every single corporate is trying to see what is an essential innovation that they should really continue to pursue because it's asset critical because they really need it to optimize their process their process is really a must-have and on the opposite you have the the, the non-essential innovations which are the nice to haves and so they are all trying to do their split between where should we cut cost and where should we continue to invest because it's strategic for the day after tomorrow and so i think this pre-covid it was more let's try everything 
And now they sort of get to this maturity that they must really segment it. So it's probably a big thing that changed. Um, and when they do these, these exercises, um, trying to decide what is crucial and what isn't, is there like a common thing or common things that keep coming back that you see with these bigger enterprises that they say, okay, this is something that we, we really need to continue focusing on? I think the honestly, it's it's it varies a lot on the core businesses of the value chain. The innovation focus of an architect is not the same as an general contractor, as a developer, as a broker, etc. So it really varies a lot. Um, so it really varies a, a lot according to the to the core businesses of the value chain. But on top of this, um, if there is maybe one common denominator, it would be more related to to the ESG, right? So how can they improve their ESG performance? How they can they can decarbonize their operations? How they can have a positive environmental and, uh, and and social impact. So this may be the common denominator because of regulation, because of EU Green Deal, climate law, because of the fact that they have to reduce 55% of the CO2 emissions, CO2 emissions by 2030. Um, but, uh, but even though I've seen already due to the current crisis, but maybe we'll discuss it later with the interest rates and topics like this, but some of the, the top five Belgian developers told me um, that uh, with the current conditions, interest rates, rising construction costs, energy crisis, etc., um, they have uh, uh, sometimes they are forced to sacrifice some sustainable aspects of the buildings or some aesthetic aspects of the buildings just to protect their margins in order to be financed by the banks. Otherwise, banks won't finance because it's too risky. So it's a sort of step back towards sustainability. Uh, so yeah, I think we are very in a very moving, uh, very unstable sort of environment. But it's like when you are in a Formula One race, the first one that will accelerate after the turn is the one that will win. So now everyone is sort of wait and see, and the first one that will accelerate, I think, will be will gain market shares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I can imagine it's kind of a difficult position for the developers to be in right now because. Yeah, the interest rates are, have, have increased so much in such a short amount of time. At the other side, as you say, there is the increase in, in, in environmental legislation, mostly coming from Europe, uh, how I understand it. And then I always uh, uh, heard or understood that through Europe, the interests would also be lowered if you made certain environmental yeah. investments. But what I hear you say now is that those don't really um, compensate for uh, for the, the increase in the, the overall interests of the banks. Yeah. yeah, no, the thing is now you have a lot of developers that also don't want to get the permit. They want to just the, the storm to pass. We're now in the eye of the storm and they prefer not to have permits because they don't need to engage construction costs because the budget of the construction cost is like this, change of construction materials, etc. So we prefer to wait a couple of months, a couple of years, when we will be in a more stable... Uh, uh, because also they cannot sell their projects. Especially in Luxembourg, 65% of their... Uh, the, uh, this year we have a drop of 65% of the residential tr uh, transactions compared to last year at the same period of time. 65%? Yeah. So it means that they have, a, they have a stock that can they cannot sell because it's too expensive, because there is t uh, inflation rate, etc. So people that don't have money, 
And so there is huge problem as well on that front. So of course they don't have, they don't want to launch new projects if they don't, if they are not able to sell it, where the margin is, of course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that's that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any figures about Belgium? Mm, not that I recall. I remember some people in our advisory board uh, were saying, so the Wild Vascoot, AG Real Estate, etc. We are always grateful to have their support. Um, so they were saying in the past, especially uh, uh, some developers, when they were putting on um, th their offers, their units for sales, uh, every time they had a booking, it was converted into a sale. Uh, and now they have more than 50% cancellation. Uh, and uh, also, uh, I remember some numbers from from the Wild of Ascot, but I will not risk to to say them. But it was mind blowing, like uh, something like uh, uh, I think when they were putting one listing for sale, they had a, a, a few uh, offers, but when it was for rent, they had like 60 offers. So <laughs> it was really a rental market now uh, because people can't afford. Uh, so yeah, it's big change. How do you think that's gonna impact the market, like that? entire switch from from purchase to to rental i mean in belgium we've been behind on that for for decades if i'm correct um in comparison with our neighboring countries but how do you see it is do you really think it's gonna like take a, a, a hefty increase now in the next couple of years i wish we i wish we would see a market correction i wish we would see more paper use rent to buy sort of offerings because it would solve one of the biggest issue a lot of people have in their lives, which is affordability. And also, I don't see why we are forced to become owners of something if we can just paper use on demand, uh, etc. So I think for me, it's, it's a logical alignment between what people need and what real estate could offer. Uh, but for the moment, it's not in the business model of the majority of the developers, etc. So. Uh, I think there is a clear need, but we still need to find the right way to structure the offer. Uh, and so, I don't know. Can you say a little bit more about those business models? I've never heard them before. Pay to use? Pay per use and rent to buy. Rent yeah. to buy. Oh, the rent to buy is my uh, guilty pleasure. Come on. Okay. Uh, rent to buy is the... Um, it's basically aligned a bit to the concept of fragmented ownership. But if you want, it's, a, it's a, to allow the end user to gradually become an owner. So imagine you have uh, 5% shares of the apartment or the home per year. After five years, you maybe have 25% shares, but you have a change in your family. Maybe you have twins or you have a split or whatever. And so you want to move in a new house so you can convert your 25% ownership from that home to the equivalent in another home. So you really combine the advantage of being a tenant, flexibility, etc., with the advantage of being an owner because you don't throw money out of the window every month. Uh, so it's really like a renting of a car in a way mm -hmm. uh, where you gradually become an owner. So you have a couple of great startups in, in Belgium and in Europe doing this. Uh, How are they called? In Belgium, you have Onvestor, for instance. Okay. Uh, you have a lot in France. You have a lot in, uh, in Spain as well, like Ola Lucas, Libin. Um, but you can only switch inside the same uh, owner No, 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 because you have different business models. Some of them work with large investors that will co-buy with you. Uh, and so if you want to convert the percentage, they will buy with you the other property. And so they will buy the, the, the remaining percentage. Uh, and so then you gradually buy the shares to them. 
you know so that's the way uh, uh, and sometimes you 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 cannot uh, transfer your percentage ownership on the first home to the second home because they don't allow the, this but you still can gradually become an owner because the big problem is not to refund for a lot of people they can refund but they don't have the 60000 euro down payment to get the loan and so it's a lot of people that could become owner but just don't have the down payment and so that's the problem that they solve right mm-hmm. and then you you have a you you pay on the amount and is the monthly amount a little bit higher than if you would just rent the building i assume it is right yeah yeah okay so you just basically the the developer prefinances the entire building and instead of paying it off to a bank you pay it off to the developer either to the developer or to another company who is in charge of the rent to buy so the developer can sell to the rent to buy company right okay That's, yeah. Is that the model of the startups? It depends. Uh, I think our investor acquires the building with the candidate's owner in the future. So the developers sell it to them. Okay. Why do you know of bigger developers in Belgium who are uh, experimenting with this model? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, a lot of them actually, but uh, not enough. I would like to see all of them. I don't understand why it's not... Uh, Um, more sort of spread, but uh, recently I think Pantexi and BNP Paribas were entering into a partnership okay. to uh, to do the the renting. So similar to the to the rent to the renting of a car, BNP Paribas will prefinance and then you will buy the shares to BNP Paribas real estate uh, BNP Paribas bank. Uh, so I think even the banks start to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I think every 10 years banks try to sort of bypass the brokers. Uh, we have a ING that uh, bought or invested in the Makela, which is the largest online marketplace in the Netherlands. You have Belfius Bank that invested in Imovlon. So you have a lot of moves like this, you know, banks trying to be closer to brokerage. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, so any other, like in the in since those COVID years, mm-hmm. or during the COVID years, is there anything that you saw that happened in those, uh, let's say, call it 36, uh, 36 months, um, that you think is going to continue? Something that that's gonna gonna that we're gonna take away from from uh, from this entire event, and that that we will continue to use, or that it's been proven to be very valuable. Hmm. Very vast question. But I, I think the way we will use square meters has changed. Uh, I think the way we consume events has also changed. Um, I think now uh, the office of tomorrow, nobody really knows what it will look like, but I think everyone aligns on the fact that it's not what it used to be anymore. So you have the idea, the idea of convenience, the idea of uh, uh, optionality. So it's now optional to go to the office. You can work from anywhere. I just work two hours from the car, you know, so it's... Uh, You can work from everywhere uh, as long as you have an internet connection. So to be convinced to go back to the office, you need more than just a, sc- a screen and a keyboard. You need uh, some some product uh, training, some culture, some some great ambience, or you know. So it must be better than it, what it used to be. Um, and the way we we consume events as well, I, I've seen really a big trend that uh, to go online, and then people are f- are fed up with uh, online. But still, they never know if they will come to the event, so they book super last minute, and they will see because we never know, etc. So I think a lot of things have, have changed. But the big two new things, which are not really correlated to 
COVID, but I think these are really the, the last uh, big things we have seen in 22 um, are the creation of uh, two new verticals in the prop tech space. So the, the number one is really urban tech um, and the second is retrofit tech. So urban tech really uh, considers that, you know, prop tech was every innovation inside the square meters, inside buildings, and then urban tech considers that you should take a bit of altitude and consider innovations at the scale of a piece of neighborhood, so including between buildings or the, or the scale of a city. Um, and so this also includes innovations related to mobility, to energy, to uh, living. So it's a bit broader, but it's sort of a natural extension to PropTech, all of the innovations inside the city, inside the built environment. And the other very interesting vertical, which was invented by uh, our friends from AO PropTech, um, is uh, retrofit tech. So, you know, today you have in Europe 221 million buildings that were developed before 2001. And so it means that all of these buildings are below the energy standards, below the energy uh, uh, efficiency, but also below the customer experience, the user service, I mean, all of that. And so the huge elephant in the room when, you see, when we speak about innovations is not the new building that we will build, but of course, renovate the existing stock, right? And so retrofit tech is all of the technologies you can deploy in the existing square meters to renovate it, to make it smarter, more efficient, more sustainable. And so that's also a very interesting focus. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's our, those, those are the last two new things I would maybe point out. Point out. Okay, so you said 220 million? 221. Million, yeah, million buildings. In Europe, built before 21. No, built before 2001. 2001. And they all need to be renovated? They have to be renovated, yeah. But okay. the other mind-blowing metrics, which was from the World Economic Forum of Davos, but I think nowadays everyone knows it, but still... 80% 80, uh, 80 of the buildings that will exist in 2050 are already here today. So it means that we will build only 20% new buildings. Uh, and so it means that we have to renovate at a crazy pace, 10 times more than what we do today, you know? Damn, I yeah. never heard that statistic. So 80% yeah, yeah. of the buildings are here. Yeah, yeah, in 2050. And you know, we'll have 2 billion of new people on earth by 2050. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. need to build uh, 2,000 net homes every day just, to order, just in order to house them. Yeah, those statistics. It's crazy. One of those is the reason why we also started with, with Bao, like of the course. two and a half billion people that were moving to cities. Yeah. You calculate it, it's like 100,000 homes every yeah. day. Yeah. New homes yeah, new. globally. Yeah. Yeah? If, if you would work seven days a week, yeah. which we don't do. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's mind-boggling. Um, all right. Um, very interesting, uh, very interesting um, insights. Um, maybe if we go and focus a little bit more on, on what you have been doing in the last two years, because I also I already mentioned it a little bit in the introduction, but today you are uh, working in fog businesses, if we in, are correct. In fog? In fog businesses and ah, in, yeah. in, 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 uh, in fog of them. Yeah. Um, so maybe can you explain a little bit more about the new ventures that you that you've started since since your last visit here, and why why you started them? I don't know if Relevation already existed when we met last time, um, but so it's true that I work for different companies. I think it's a bit more than four, uh, but uh, it doesn't really matter. I have started a lot of companies. I have also ended companies. At, um, but this is not so impressive. This is easy to do. Uh, what matters is to have sustainable growth. And so 
Uh, I want to emphasize the fact that I'm not a chicken running without a head, you know, like sometimes I heard, because the vision was always crystal clear, build a holding of subsidiary company that can cross-fertilize each other. So we start with the membership, then we have maybe an accelerator, we have maybe a VC fund, we have maybe a consulting arm, maybe a media company, maybe a, we can have a lot of different things that can sell business to each other, you know. When we have the membership, we have access to data, so we know that startups raise capital, we know that VC wants to have access to that, or that corporates, or whatever. So we can do a lot of, we can do a lot of cross-fertilization. Um, and so that was always the plan. Uh, but um, what was the question? Which are the, <laughs> that's no problem. Which are the, the, the new businesses that were founded in the last two years? I think you already mentioned mm -hmm. uh, a couple of them. Um, and, and why did you start them? So yeah. I can say from experience, I think we participated in one of the new ones, mm -hmm. uh, Recap. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's an accelerated program. Mm -hmm. um, why did you start it? And how so, is it going? So um, I think, like, let's say we met in early 2000, uh, uh, 2020, right? So in March 2021, the pandemic started. And so I saw the opportunity to create an event digital uh, where founders raising capital could meet investors completely online a transactional event the main purpose was to uh, facilitate investments right closings and so uh, we launched elevation which means real estate elevation in july uh, 21 uh, in july 2020 so three months after we had the first edition and back then i remember there were 47 proptech unicorns existing globally and we had two founders of them present at the event So for us, it was like we have Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or <laughs> whatever. You know, it was super proud. Um, and then Cretech invested in us. And then we created second edition, then third edition. And then we closed now the last ever edition of Relevation because we stopped the company uh, for, uh, for editions after. So this was launched in 2020. And then in 2021, um, I guess uh, we acquired LuxProptech, the Luxembourgish PropTech Network, um, because it was logical that Belgium and Luxembourg sort of consolidates and merge, right? Because we have a lot of startups from Luxembourg that want to enter Belgium. We have a lot of developers from Belgium active there. So it didn't make sense to have two local networks. Together, one plus one equals three. That was a bit the idea. And at the same time, so also in January 21, we launched Recap as an ESG accelerator because we had the feeling that um, on one hand, you have a lot of ESG-related startups that should be accelerated. So we should be able to design a product to accelerate them. So the idea was a sort of Y combinator for startups related to ESGs in construction and real estate. Um, so you participated to the, to the first ever edition, right? The first badge. Um, uh, and on the other side, you have a lot of large corporates who now understood that ESG become the number one priority because they need to comply with EU taxonomy and a lot of things like this, but they don't know where to start. And also ESG is a moving target because you have a lot of new regulations. You have to constantly adapt. You have to build new, new skill sets, uh, new reports, etc. So you add additional workloads on the core business, right? And so they need support to, to understand all of this. So that's why we created a... A recap. So uh, on one side, we accelerate ESG-rated startups, and on the other side, we accelerate the ESG performance of large corporates. So it was launched like this, and it was... Um, now we are closing the second edition, uh, second court. Uh, we're closing the applications for the third court, so it goes well. But it's, uh, it's a lot of work, and uh, yeah. And I guess that's it. 
I also tried to launch a VC fund in the meantime, but I decided to stop uh, because uh, it's not the right time. Okay. Um, very interesting. Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Like uh, you said, you, you the last elevation, mm -hmm. the, the one that was organized, what is it, six weeks ago or something? Mm -hmm. That was the final one. Yeah, yeah, last ever. Okay. I didn't know. Why, why, why are you stopping it? Because in French we say qui trop embrasse mal étreint. So it means um, you cannot be very efficient in what you do and also be very generalistic. You need focus. Mm -hmm. And it's about focusing where the low hanging fruits are. And so for us, you know, we created a, a relevation and it takes a lot of time. Uh, it's almost six months of hard work to build this amazing event. You know, we had billionaires, keynote speakers. We, we had people from Nation, uh, United Nations, European Commission. We had uh, uh, Saudi Arabia Ministry. We had the most important VC fund in the world, etc. that were there. So it's really like super top content of program. And, and, and we don't get enough revenue. So it doesn't worth the effort. And all of the money, all of the time we invest in renovation, we cannot invest in PropTech Lab or in the other businesses. So we have to do choices. So I think um, we, we went to the end of the project. We're super grateful for the adventure we had. It was an amazing time. We met a lot of people. We built a lot of knowledge. But now let's stop playing. We need to focus where the, the real potential is. And where do you think the real potential is right now? Aha. Um, for us, um, for us, it's in a growing where it works. So PropTech Lab membership. Uh, we currently have 85% renewal rate, so the, the members stay member. We need to invest a little bit more in the um, in the product uh, that that we sell. So we have a bit, uh, we have some ideas on the product roadmap, but uh, I think we need to. We have barely scratched the surface in Belgium and Luxembourg. I think we have today 300 company members. There is a an estimated 600 large construction and real estate firms in Belgium that could become a member. So we have less than 50% of the shares uh, of the market shares, I guess. Um, but then we can also expand ge geographically or we can uh, do upsells, so uh, sell more products to the current members uh, or we could also shift um, towards other verticals which are adjacent to real estate like energy or mobility or so we can still uh, grow in that direction. But today I think the, the conversion rate for us when we meet people to present what we do is super high at PropTech Lab and at Relevation it was super high super uh, hard to sell tickets so there is no brainer for us mm -hmm. yeah makes sense yeah um the the recap program i mean i went through it yeah. i uh, i experienced as i experienced it as a, a very positive um, accelerator program it was very efficient i think that was my main feedback great um we've been through some um accelerator programs i mean it was a couple of years before we we did another one Um, we did quite a couple of them in the beginning, but they can take a long time and they can ask a lot of your uh, time and to be present uh, physically yeah. for a lot of the of the, uh, the different um, elements. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised that that um, recap was so uh, tightly organized and and really about making the highest highest ROI for for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, uh, But What did you learn? No, 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 but, no, but, but I was just curious, like how as an organization have you experienced it? Like this second edition is now closing, third one is stalling, like has it been a, a success from a, from, from your perspective as well? And, and also how are the, 
because that's something I'm curious about. How are the um, the uh, the other side of the the, the parties, the the businesses, uh, the bigger businesses, not the startups? How are they experiencing them? And are you seeing a lot of implementation of the uh, startups and the ideas of the startups or the products of the services of the startups being implemented in the bigger organizations? That's basically okay. So two 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 part of the questions. Mm -hmm. um, the number one was um, how have we experienced that? So it was always the idea to have a not bullshit accelerator, right? There is enough bullshit accelerator existing. <laughs> yes. And so the idea was to really do a sales accelerator where we will send 600, 800, 1,200 emails uh, to different people, etc. We will really generate lead. We will do our best to have a real impact tangible that you can see in the invoice that you send. So the idea was always super tangible. No theoretical things. No framework, no uh, business model Canva and all of that. This already exists. Um, and so it was really sales accelerator. So we tried to, to do our best to do it. The challenge is, of course, um, the volume of startups accelerating 10 and also the heterogeneity in the sales maturity. Some of them were more sales ready, some other less sales ready. And so uh, some were you throw a lead to them and they can close it right away. Some others, uh, they still experiment, uh, try to pivot in their value proposition, the way they explain it. They still uh, sort of uh, elaborate on their product market fit, on their value proposition. So they don't really know. So it's super hard for them to close, you know. Um, so not everyone has the same uh, 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 sales, uh, sales readiness, but yeah, so we build it in order to be very efficient. Like if we would be a, a team of lead generation consultants doing just calls and emails, you know, that was the idea. Um, and on the corporate side, uh, so yes, there are pilot projects. Uh, Van den Busser, for instance, has signed uh, 12 months. Uh, and they have uh, made amazing things. I cannot undisclose yet, but uh, they, they made... Uh, so they made a couple of uh, a large framework agreement with startups, uh, including equity, uh, including a uh, hundred uh, thousand euro uh, 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 deals in different startups to, to deploy pilot projects, etc. So it works. Um, we also see uh, KBC has a lot of uh, a lot of interest. Uh, um, I think. Um, uh, Cordell is also very active. Uh, so I think definitely we see some some success. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just the beginning, uh, just a third court. So let's see in 10 courts the conclusions. But so far, yeah, it goes well. And you want to do two batches a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm very curious how it's going to go. Uh, 5th of September, maybe you can also do a little plug for the audience. 5th of September, there is another event in Antwerp, right? Huge. And uh, Orta Galerie, which is the most circular building of Belgium, uh, and so we expect 250 people, 10 startups pitching and uh, some international keynote speakers. So it's all about ESG, resilient cities and the future of urban uh, sustainability. So you should come. It's free. And uh, there is also food. <laughs> we will put uh, the link uh, to the event in the show notes. Um, Thanks. Okay. Uh, it's all very, very, uh, yeah, things are moving, right? Um, it's very interesting to hear what what you've been cooking up in, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, another question I was thinking when I hear you explain all of this is you've been going at it now for how many years? I think I started, I started to work in PropTech 10 years ago, but my entrepreneurship journey started something like eight years ago. Right. And now it's always in the, in the, the matchmaking role, 
right? Mm. With all the knowledge that you've been gaining and you've been building in these many years, has it never like tickled you to like go from the the product or the service uh, startup perspective, or to start to start um, another yeah. type of business than this this connection business? So a big smile on my face because um, you know we were so we were interested in launching a. Um, a real estate company, but not in the sense that you may be intended, more into the sense that, you know, we are surrounded by a lot of brilliant minds, a lot of very successful entrepreneurs with full of energy, a lot of very powerful uh, corporates with deep pockets and deep industry expertise, etc. And so why couldn't we, still in the same idea of uh, matchmaking and gathering people, launch maybe a project management firm where we would have an architect, an engineer, general contractor, a lot of different startups, developer, etc., that would have shares in a SPV, special purpose uh, uh, vehicle. So they have an alignment of interest, they have an alignment of risk, um, in line, alignment of profit, etc. And all together, we will build the demonstrator of tomorrow, of innovation, the state-of-the-art building with all of the technologies, all of the different services, all of the state-of-the-art of circularity, all of the data to track how is the building used, what are the needs of end users, really all of the use cases possible. And so that would be a sort of living lab, like living tomorrow, but maybe broader, bigger scale or more modern, more up, more up to speed with the best in class people. So that was a bit the idea, but then again, you know, focus. <laughs> no chicken without head. How far did you go in, uh, in validating the idea? Nowhere. Uh, Nowhere. It's just an idea that I had, but I have tens ID per minute, so I should stop. <laughs> but when you ask me, do you want to launch a listed company? That's my answer. But uh, yeah, no, now we focus. Okay. <laughs> I think it would be interesting. Um, I get, I get the focus, but yeah. I. Sometimes I'm, I'm also thinking like there are so many solutions already on the market. Sometimes I wonder like it's not really the issue of inventing new. stuff of new things it's a matter of getting the things that are there implemented at scale mm -hmm. like they got, recently I was discussing this with a, a fellow uh, um, startup owner um, like if you if you combine a prefabricated structure a wooden structure or preferably wooden because of the carbon capturing yeah. but can also be concrete I mean there's so many different technologies today and you combine it with uh, a prefabricated uh, energy module, mm -hmm. which there are a couple of those, right? Mm -hmm. Without saying any names. You prefabricate the technical shaft and you take something like a SAM yeah. for the living area. Those are four or five product lines, yeah. four product lines, right? Yeah. Yeah. Structure, shaft, energy, and, uh, and, and uh, the utilities on the level, yeah. uh, living level. And you can all prefabricate those. You, they, those are all there. Yeah. They all exist. Yeah. And if you would combine those, you can build a building in yeah. in but, days. But that's that's the big problem of Europe that you have 3.5 thousand startups existing, split in the five categories and the the 47 innovation themes that we've created the matrix for. And not a, not all of them have the same 
level of competition, the same level of players. You have some that are with less than 15 players. We call them in the blue ocean. And then you have the, the ones that are more in the red ocean with more than 100 competitors. Energy efficiency is an example. You have more than 100 competitors. Rent to buy, you have less than, uh, less than 10. Um, but um, uh, the thing is, I remember Alexander Gebauer, who is the former CEO Western Europe of PIMCO, so Alliance Real Estate. He was saying... We, as a large corporate running a real estate portfolio in four continents, etc., um, are tired of tiny solutions that are solving a very small part of the business. We want one-stop shop, integrated solutions. So it's the same that what you say. Um, startups should consolidate or should create one-stop shop, should uh, share deal flow, share pipeline, and work together. Um, because it's indeed... We don't need to, I, I do agree with your opinion that we don't need to reinvent things. I still think that there is a lot of problems unsolved, but the majority of the most burning problems, we have already solutions, but uh, it's a matter of uh, rolling out and consolidation and indeed become one-stop shop. So it's an M&A game now, I think. I really think that's that that's the, the point that we get right now. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's how you're going to see the, that's how you see the market evolve in the next couple of years, just... But it depends on which investment themes, but there are definitely, you know, I talk about the 47 uh, matrix of investment themes. Um, and so there is definitely some where startups should raise capital to buy competitors. Hmm. It's, the, it's the only uh, uh, growth path uh it will be m and a uh or are you sell or you are you buy but the market will be saturated um and so i think we will see a couple of big players you know we don't have a local procor in europe for instance well, who's procor the the um, the contact giant in uh, in the us so it's a collaborative platform for construction where you can manage the budget planning non-conformities etc uh, like uh, let's build or like uh, Final CAD or something like this. You don't have this in Europe. You don't have an Autodesk in Europe. So, you, so, but we have a lot of different companies that could merge. We have an Emetech in Europe, but still, um, there is still a lot of place for consolidation in specific themes. It's too early for for consolidation in rent to buy, but in Beam, etc., it's 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 the right time. What's the name of that big American player? I'm also gonna put it in Proc the show notes. Procore, Procore Technologies. So Meg Baldini is the VP for. Uh, uh, growth uh, M&A she's always speaking at Relevation okay. she's very cool yeah it sounds very interesting and they've just been they've been doing that strategy in, in America just yeah. buying the, yeah but it's one of the the 47 unicorns that were that was already there in 2020 okay fascinating alright um, let's see we are uh, we are have been going for a while mm. um is there anything else you wanted to convene to the audience before we maybe uh, uh, start going towards the closing of the uh, of the episode with some uh, more light and fun questions than just this all this prop tech talk? <laughs> ah, you know that I was um, close to call my son million because it was the only way for me to get a million before uh, thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is not related to the... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were at the municipality and I was saying, are you sure you don't want to call him million or at least second name? <laughs> but no, no. No way. It was like a massive... Uh, but I didn't try to um, call him PropTech. 
Um, that that would have been a bit, maybe a bridge a bit too, too far. Much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's all good. You get the conversation. So. Uh. Okay. Um, yeah. Then uh, let's see. Um, it's been um, a couple of years, I guess, uh, since uh, the first conversation. Um, has there been any uh, books that you've read? that you've read in those years that you think are uh, uh, really interesting for our audience to uh, to explore in these remaining couple of weeks of the uh, of the summer it should not only be about PropTech if it is of course all fine but if there's anything else no 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 I'm a bit multidimensional people okay. shouldn't think that I'm uh, like only obsessed uh, okay. no, no, I'm trying to explore a lot of different things in life uh, because and that's maybe a key message I consider that passion is a product of action. So it means you need to discover, you need to do things. You need, there are so many things in the world to see. And so we have to be active. The happiness is in the sweat for me. So it means I must do things. I must be active. I must discover. So I'm not uh, sitting in my apartment waiting to die. Um, <laughs> and so I'm not interested only in prop tech. Um, <laughs> the book that I would maybe recommend um, more for the young parents or older parents, but it's uh, Raising an Entrepreneur from Margot Biznow, which is very interesting because it allows you to understand how you can encourage your kids to discover their passion. And I think having a passion in life, it's what can keep you alive, right? It's what is life giving for you. You don't count hours when you go to work, you're excited, you love it, you have a sense of purpose, etc. So the passion is very important. So that's uh, one thing that I would recommend. And then the other thing for the people that do a lot of roads, like me, because I have to go to Liège and Brussels almost every day, and when I don't go to Luxembourg, etc. So a lot of roads, so a lot of podcasts, which is um, the Being Well uh, shortcast. Uh, so just download the app Blinkist, um, and you can uh, listen to the Being Well shortcast, which is very interesting because it's about lifestyle and well-being in general a lot of psychological things so how to do how to uh, do change management so why is it so hard for people to change um and uh, a lot of things about uh, about this so very 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 inspiring uh, so yeah this would be my small takeaways awesome so the uh, uh the being well short cost is the, you need to download the blinkist app and then I think you can have access to on YouTube or different platforms, but I use Blinkist because you have also a lot of sum up of all of the books okay. that you can, uh, you know, I have Audible, but Audible is very long mm -hmm. because you listen to all of the books and I don't have time, don't have energy to listen to all of the book. I want the key takeaways, shortcuts, which is maybe a problem that I have, you know, like consume, get data, data, data. Sometimes you need to take time, but um, uh, Blinkist is very good for me because you have the key message in 20 minutes of uh, 300 books and you're fine with that i'm fine with that mm -hmm. yeah sounds great um you mentioned it a couple of times now uh, uh your son um ah. almost almost called millionaire or million no million not uh, millionaire <laughs> sorry <So arrogant>. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, how how has fellowship uh, have been how has it been for you in the last couple of years so fatherhood I must yeah, say I think um, this is very very personal and intimate but super happy to answer so I think I often say that I discovered love with him so I was super in love with uh, his mother etc of course uh, um, but it's a totally different uh, structure so totally different feeling so there is 
nothing more important than him. So it has uh, sort of swiped all of the other things. Uh, and of course, you also really, like, I would never hesitate a second if I have to give my life for him. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Not a single second. And so, I mean, this is, sounds very dramatic, but it's it's all very positive because it, it gives you all of a lot of good energy. Like, I want him to be proud of me. I'm his number one super fan. But I'm also strict, of course, when I, when I have to. But so, yeah, daddyhood is uh, definitely something that I'm learning every day. But I think it took me nine months to understand that I was a father. So some people say that women have nine months of advance on men because of pregnancy, etc. So they already understood it, it worked for them, etc. While we men only discover it sort of nine months after. Um, but um, but yeah, it took me a, a bit of a while. Uh, and now I'm like uh, super happy. Yeah. Sounds great. Very beautiful message. I think uh, we won't get any more uh, any more beautiful message to uh, to close off to. So I think. Uh, This is a, a good point to to close off this this round two, Idris. I um, I can only say uh, I would like to thank you very much, not only for making time to be here again, but also for the work that you've been doing the last couple of years. I think uh, as a, a startup or scale-up or how, whatever you call it, uh, a co-founder, I have always experienced you as one of the people who are really trying to to move the market forward in uh, in Belgium and the Benelux already now mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a it's a very it's very positive and and, and important work that you're doing with uh, with your organization so uh, thank you thank you very much for that as well thank you I really appreciate it all right then um, I think we're going to close it off here thank you very much for listening everyone um, this was the first one uh, after the construction holiday from now on we'll be back every month We have uh, some great guests already scheduled. Uh, only one or two, I think, only one slot left till uh, till December. So yeah, yeah it's active. going it's going well. Um, so definitely keep an eye uh, on future episodes. And then uh, Idris, I uh, I'm looking forward to round three in another wow. uh, another two two and three years. See you soon, my dear. Okay, thank you very much. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Bow Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to subscribe to our channel. If you're interested in Bow Living in our Smart Adaptable module or SAM, go check out our website bowliving.com. If you want to stay up to date, you can best subscribe to our monthly newsletter on our website or follow us on all social media platforms where we're named at Bow Living.